James, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Um, welcome to the Raise Stakes podcast. I'm so glad you're here because, as you know, our core philosophy here is all about people having... Oh, <laughs> here's my CEO. Um, we're all about people taking the leap and backing themselves and stepping out of their comfort zone and pursuing their passion to to control their own destiny. And I'm particularly glad you're here because I know that you are doing that right now. So for the people who don't know you, tell me a bit about yourself and what's happening. Sure. So I've literally just started a startup. Um, I've quit a job running a big enterprise sales team, making tons of money, having quite a nice time. Um, to kind of I have no revenue whatsoever I've got a burn chart that has my personal savings on it and wow. predicting when I run out of money um, with one other guy um, but we've gone from working in coffee shops last week to having an actual space to work in this week so uh, big yeah, change very excited all right so let's drill into that so you're so before this you were you worked for a uh, they, were they a startup? Were they in the same space? Were they, what were they? Um, so we were selling enterprise kind of software to banks to help them onboard customers faster and kind of manage risk. So okay. very, very different to what I'm doing now. Um, we went from kind of seed stage to did a Series A last year. Oh, right. So you've been through a bit of funding. Yep. Um, and we had a really cool journey. We went from $5,000 a year kind of order values up to like 700k a million dollars a year that on average so we had okay. a really big shift from kind of very commoditized selling to like an enterprise platform so it's quite an interesting journey seeing uh like learning from scratch really how to do that do you think that do you think that's actually do you think that's really interesting to say that so for you a lot of people like um, we had a guy on here the other day called Alex Dunstan. He's, he described working in a corporate as wanting to shoot yourself in the face. But it sounds to me like for you, it was a fairly relevant education. Like, did you learn? You must have learned a lot there. Yeah, that was the principal reason I joined. Um, I think at the start, um, I was at the, when I joined the company, I was either going to do my own thing or go get more experience. Um, so I joined specifically for that reason. So. It was the kind of thing I absolutely love was being thrown in, not knowing how to do something and trying to work it out. Um, and as we got bigger, we got more people in who had more corporate. You got a background of that. So that thing of like that that drive, a lot of, I mean, that's that's pretty intimidating, just like jumping in and giving someone a go. Not everyone has the confidence to do that. So when in your background, have you, have you always been that way or did you like evolve into that? Um, I think it kind of just happened. So I, I learned a lot of it from doing actually online marketing at a company previously where you have to run experiments all of the time and see what works and what doesn't um and it's you can kind of if you're data driven you're kind of fundamentally learning by making mistakes quite often yeah. um but i've done that uh, kind of leap a couple of times like i tried to be a professional cyclist um straight out of whoa, university whoa, whoa, whoa. let's just glaze over that let's just not run over that so you so you wanted to, so when you left uni you were a pro cyclist yeah so i joined um thinking i want to go into investment banking and work joined what i sorry i did economics at university thinking right i'm gonna like go to cambridge i'm gonna become an investment banker it's what everyone is doing um, well, not, every, not everyone but certainly yeah, yeah. what the elite are doing <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. i kind of thought this looks cool it looks hard um and kind of dived in but when i got there uh, i just got really into sports uh and wondered how far I could get with it. Um, so when I left, I was the only person in my year who had no 
job lined up. So I went straight into was that trying to become a was professional it, cyclist. Did that make you nervous? Uh, not really. I think it was more probably more ignorance. Like now I have other people I need to look out for a little bit more with the family. Yeah. Um, but back then, uh, I just couldn't not do it um, because I wanted to see where I'd get to. And once you're kind yeah. of already invested in something a certain extent, you're like, well, you know, what happens if I do this another three years? Uh, so I felt kind of, yeah, it's just the pull that I wanted to do it. That's really, um, that's, so there's something in there, isn't there? Because, you know, let's not underestimate like how hard you had to get, it would have been to get into to Cambridge and do economics like it's a tough subject at a great uni and and then you went into a sport which must have been like it's not like you just pop on a bike and you're there so there's kind of a metric there isn't there that or a consistent value there which is just you must have an incredible work ethic you know because you in order to because they're quite they're the, cons, the consistent factor between the two of those is that there's a lot of time in that cycling is a is a time dependent sport like you're you can't just train for an hour a day right yeah it was uh so i did probably 10 years of riding a bike for 20 to 30 hours a week um i'm sorry so. you say that we had a guy on here a guy called ross nichols a um he's a pro jiu-jitsu fighter and he makes he says this quote and he says um accept what it takes to become good at something it's training every day really fucking hard for 10 years and yeah. so you straight away, you're saying like, so you'd been, so when did you, you started cycling when you were a kid, but you were like properly going at it for 10 years. Yeah, I think the acceptance is an interesting one. Like you feel you stop questioning, why am I doing this? You're just doing it. Uh, so I remember like my mum used to live near uh, where I went to university. Um, and it was like in the winter every day, we'd go to her house on the way home, have cake and coffee. She's offering us a lift back. It's raining. It's November. Um, yeah. It's another twenty miles home or whatever. Um, but you kind of, yeah, I'm on the bike. You just have to do it. But I think on the thing about working hard, though, it's more. Um, I think one thing I'm. I think some people work hard across a lot of things at once. Where I've just been good at doing one, one thing, thing and just focusing. Um, so there, were, like, I really should have tried harder. Like on the one. Well, I don't actually know if it made any difference, but like my degree, I think I really didn't work hard at that because that it kind of, I kind of got focused on cycling instead. Um, and that's what I pushed. So I think a lot uh, of people do that though. I think a lot of people when they go to university have a plan, but who the hell knows what they want to do when they're 18 with their life? Like who wants to plan that out, right? Well, I thought I knew when I was like 14. I was like, oh, right, I'm going this direction. This is what, this I'm, is doing. what I'm doing. And um, was it the money that motivated you? We think like, I want that. Is it, was it, because it's interesting, isn't it? Because when you yeah. say to yourself, like as a 14 year old kid, and if it's, yeah someone listening who's 14 year old and they're there, they're thinking like, I want to go and be an investment banker. Like our, our generation, we're like, you know, it was Wall Street that we used to yep. watch Martin Sheen looking amazing, Gordon Gecko, these great guys. And you sort of look at it and you think there's that aspirational element here where they seem to have everything because they've got all the money. But it's like, it's, it's a different, is that the validation you were all thinking? It's like, I just want something that's going to earn me a ton of money and I can be smarter than other people to do it. Um, I probably would have said that. I think I was like super cat, like a little capitalist when I was 15 yeah. and my mind changed, like really changed dramatically in my twenties. Um, but I think really, cause you never went into investment bank. No. Um, and I definitely wouldn't go into it now having sold uh, lots of investment banks. <laughs> you know, um, like no interest, so yeah. seeing things like whack and Wednesdays and stuff. Whack and uh, Wednesdays. Yeah, the one bank where they fire a chunk of stuff every Wednesday. All right. Well, you can um, tell me. You can tell me <laughs> after. Private, like after who that bank is. Yeah, but yeah. I think it's um, no. I think when I was 
I think it's maybe a good thing and a bad thing, but I think some of it is kind of that perception of worrying, to, worrying about what other people think, and it just felt like the right thing to do. And I can remember thinking, like, well, I can either be like a lawyer, because that seems like it's thought of well, or I can be an investment yeah. banker. Um, went in that direction, but I think I realized that I need to kind of think about what's going to make me happy sometimes. I think uh, that's a really, really important message that you're saying straight away there, is that we all make the mistake of having that, external validation of thinking like I need to be externally validated by other things. So like, you're like, I know that other people think that being a lawyer is a good job. I know that it's an aspirational industry to be an investment banker. And so if I go and say to my mom or my friend, oh, I'm an investment banker, I'm a lawyer, like that external validation is there. But you nailed down right on the point. And I think that's something we're really big on here on the pod is that it's about what makes you happy. Yeah, I I think the irony of that as well is when you're, um, if you're doing something to make other people happy, you're going to end up miserable, probably. Um, yeah. And the irony is then if you care about what other people think, it's going to make them, you know, you're not going to be someone they want to hang out with. Um, yeah. Like my wife was at my, one of the previous companies I worked at, uh, we went through a patch where I didn't kind of know why I was there anymore. Like I'd sort of lost motivation and the company was growing a lot. Um, and we're struggling to kind of agree the direction of the business um and it was making me miserable at home um but on paper it looked really successful like we're making millions of dollars a year um we've grown something from nothing but it just wasn't the right place to be and i found it really hard to get my wife was kind of instrumental in helping kind of pull me out of going further because i easily could have been there for another five years um but i'm extremely glad that i moved on it's so so interesting because like i mean so many people sort of go into the startup world and they're like because this company you had enough She's had enough. (laughs) Um, But so many people are in this point where they're like, I want to, that the company's going really well. Everything's going really great. And so surely I should be having a great time. So I guess moving forward to like now, and thanks to your wife for giving you the right advice there, but going forward to now, so you were were in a startup and I know them really well and they are an amazing company. But there's something there that said to you, this isn't right for me. What was that itch? Yeah, it kind of got a bit, the rate of, I kind of joined to learn and get a lot of the experience. And it got to the point where the company actually learned how to do a lot of these things. And we got into kind of a different stage of growth where we got past the kind of 10 million run rate barrier. Uh, You've got nice offices at this point. Um, And I think the focus of the business went from like we need to get revenue anywhere to need, we need to get more efficient everyone's become feels a little bit more siloed or a little bit more like a cog in a machine um and i think personality wise that's not the part that i really enjoy like i, I like building stuff from nothing or mm. having an idea and seeing it through to like 80 percent yeah sure. um, it's okay. the most fun part yeah. um for me so yeah i just think culturally it wasn't the right fit at that point and it kind of felt like a the company had kind of they're still growing fast, but it felt like it was getting a bit easier. Um, so it felt like a smooth time to kind of hand over. Uh, because, and also, I just desperately wanted to... I started getting obsessed by a new idea, and I just wanted to go for it. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, I know the story, but tell me about it, because I love it. So, because I think this is kind of like how a lot of stuff happens. There's a lot of... I always think that there's two ways that a company starts. It starts with a sentence that begins with either, wouldn't it be cool if... 
you know, the classic being um, the guy who founded um, Uber. He was sat on the front row. I think it, it might be a bit of a myth now, but he sat on the front row at Gary, Gary V chat. And he said to Gary V, hey, would it be cool if I could order a limousine on my phone? And yeah. boom, Uber's basically born there. But then the other one, which is where you're in, is the wouldn't it be better if, yeah, wouldn't it be better if I could do X instead of Y or I could get A result instead of B result? That was kind of what happened to you, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, uh, oh, watch this. <laughs> okay. Not so much. Uh, yeah, I think with this it was, uh, I just felt in my day-to-day that uh, I was running around. Um, what was your role, sorry? So, so you I was were... running the sales team, so I was responsible for revenue growth. Okay, um, and but it, it was, and you were doing... What kind of like big deals, lots of little deals? What kind of environment was it? Yeah, we're doing a handful of extremely large deals. So we do kind of big transformation projects with thousands of staff at banks across the Right, so real enterprise stuff. Yeah, big. like yeah. very um, relationship-driven. Uh, a lot of it was the bank would buy from us because they want to work with the team as well as the technology. So oh, okay. we had to work extremely hard at uh, being people they wanted to work with, okay. um, which was quite fun. I think, though, what I felt that in the super long run, I think that companies will kind of interact a bit more like uh, nodes with APIs in between them, which sounds really nerdy, but... Like I'll Jeff, let you no idea what you mean. So like, <laughs> so, like, Jeff Bezos, I think, has this quote where he talks about a well-run company. The teams don't have to have meetings. Like, they just go, like, this is my input. This is the output I need to generate, which okay. goes to some other team that processes that and do something else with it. So, for example, marketing generate a lead, which goes into sales to do something with which then goes into a delivery team, for example. Um, but I think the way that companies buy and sell might start to change where um, I can just see from like what enterprise selling is like when you're doing huge deals. There's a kind of weird, like there's all this relationship stuff, this paradigm occurs where it feels like that bank is going to buy something from you and it's almost too late to stop it happening. It's not just banks, it could be any business. Yeah, exactly. We, yeah. Like, we dealt with like big pharmaceutical companies, oil and gas. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then some, at some point, the product appears. Whereas I think, in, and that's very typical in anything enterprise, but I think over like 10 years, whatever, it will start changing where people are going to kind of list what they actually need more clearly. They're not going to be interested in you telling them what you can do for them. They're going to want you to show, like show that you can solve that problem right in front of them there and then. So we started to sense, like we saw a few other companies in the market that started selling a little bit more like this. Um, like Uncork do some really cool work where they show up and they can say, hey, who's going to object to this deal happening? Bring them to the meeting. We're going to sit there for three hours. At the end, we're going to fully configure it in front of you. I love how cool um, that is. What's and the they refuse to RFPs. Uncork. Uncork. Uh, it's a really cool model, but I can see that that, to me, if I were buying, is how I would want to buy the product. Yeah. Um, I don't want to feel like I'm being sold to. I want to see it. So I think that will start to change. And then likewise, companies that are selling won't just keep hammering trying to convince you know build the relationship i think it'll get a bit more like you'll have to be able to deliver value faster to people and it'll be a bit more inbound focused because the harsh reality is 90 percent of your pipeline is never going to close it's the majority of your time is being wasted so how do you get that kind of percentage down so that's the kind of concepts and stuff that so you so you were sat at your desk and you were doing your work and you're just like i am wasting time because of this inefficient way i'm doing this and you were like look i i think i can make this better yeah. So did you like, how did, what was the journey there? Were you like, I mean, look, this actually to start with, that is a, anybody who's worked in a sales leadership position knows about the inefficiencies of like reporting and getting deals closed and territory allocation. And it's just a nightmare. 
And so did you, did you just think I can make this better, up sticks, I'm gone? Pretty much, yeah. Pretty, pretty <laughs> much, wow. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, uh, I just, I think we worked out, we were like mucking around with some ideas and spreadsheets and stuff. And then it just felt like this is something we have to like turn into so a you do, So you were doing it on spread, just like a- well, we, Yeah, we started building it. We had a really good kind of sales ops guy and we started thinking about some ideas. For Does how he come with we, you? Uh, no, it's oh. like same employer. Um, Ooh, sad story. But the, um, we built like the most spectacular spreadsheet of all time, I think. <laughs> that had loads of modeling and stuff and it would help you realize are you wasting time on this deal? Should you put something else in? How can you kind of optimize territory? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we, yeah, we had a very rough version, but we struggled to get real adoption because it was so complicated. Adoption in the companies, internal. Yeah, so like yeah. I kind of felt that like this would be a really cool way if we're raising money, for example. So instead of walking through, like I was in all the meetings when we we're raising our Series A, um, getting asked, you know, which of these deals is coming in and when. And the reality is like, I don't, I have a sense of what's going to come in, but I don't actually know because these things haven't happened yet. So I can't tell you 100% sure what's going to take place. Yeah. I'd much rather explain the business as we have built a model for how we're going to sell. Um, it's based on the d proof points that we do have historically. And here are my assumptions. I'm being transparent, like this kind of like node thing um, around how we're going to grow. And then we're tracking this over the time. We can just kind of vary it with you. But yeah. like it was so complicated. This kind of concept was very hard to get across to someone. And I think yeah. it's one thing I've wrestled with a lot. Like I, so, I'm a bit too, I get too into over-engineering things quite easily. It's one of the things I'm not good at. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. So picking up on something you said a minute ago, right. So you're, I just want, I want to understand this journey because I think a lot of people can relate to it. It's really, in, I think it's really interesting and I actually think it's quite inspiring as well. So you create this product with sort of with it with, on your own back within the company and you are like, so how did you, it's quite a big confidence thing to say, look, I'm now, I think this is so good. Other people are going to buy it. Yeah, I think, well, it was like, I think this concept is so good, other people are going to buy it, um, but it needs to be a million times easier for a normal, yeah. you know, head of sales to pick it up and just start using it without creating workload to implement it. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I did have, I just felt that it's so strongly valuable being able to cut wasted time out of the sales process that like, that's something I want to do. I love do. it. Um, it's, an, it's, an, it's, it's such a, I love that concept. It's so simple. So you've done that. You've had this idea. You know what you're going to deliver to people. You're like, I know why this would happen. I kind of get how I would do it. And I know what they're going to get. Classic yeah. Simon Sinek stuff there. What the fuck happens next? <laughs> okay, because so, like, it's not an easy was, thing to just be like, oh, I'm just going to go and do this. Yeah, so it was kind of a bit of a car crash at first because uh, <laughs> I turned up and started like talking about this really conceptual complicated who, do, who are we talking piece. to um just yeah people like i think one of my pieces of advice would be it's all of the like meeting like having run a sales team yeah. doing lots and lots and lots of sales meetings yeah. actually all of the meeting all of the networking i've done that's really helped me at this point in my life is the random meetings i took to help other people out so it's random little startups who wanted to talk to me about their sales or their marketing um, and that's where we got lots of early meetings from, um, much more so than so, people so, were trying to sell to. So what, so you were going to meetings before you even had a product? Oh, so yeah. So when we, once I'd left um, 
Arachnist, then immediately I was just hammering. I need to do as many meetings as possible. Because straight, straight B to B, just big biz dev stuff going on. Straight yeah, away, yeah. yeah, like I'm, yeah. And are you and are you developing the product concurrently at the same time? Yeah. So, so whilst you're doing the meetings, you're also or did you develop the product and then you left? Like when did you decide it was time to leave? When were you ready? <laughs> kind of idea stage. Um, I had a few copies of people just to say like, hey, I'm thinking of leaving. Am I nuts or not? Yeah. yeah. Um, but really because I felt that it was the right thing to do. And like when I left, I would want to, you know, show them it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I did a little bit of validation, but I just believe very strongly that this is right, um, which did in practice mean that we wasted time at the start because we built it in slightly the wrong direction. We made it very complicated. But um, okay. yeah, we've like really tried to simplify the way we work to the extent where I am booking as many meetings as possible and validating the kind of messaging and how it needs to work and then tim my co-founder is just building it and we're bootstrapping through the first few months of the company so we can just do these things um and so we can get early stage customers not even try to charge them at this point just keep working with them on a daily basis on slack um kind of saying like hey we built this little bit of functionality what do you think it's quite ropey but we get on quite well with you how would you change it? And I'm trying to make sure that my job is making sure we're balancing that across enough of the market that we build it for the market rather than kind of like three or four customers. That right there, that statement is such a, a brilliant way to describe it because you're building it for the market. Yeah. Rather than just what you think it should be. Yeah. yeah I, think- I, I, I love that approach. So did you, you met with loads of people to try and find out how it would work? Yeah. Cause I wanted to turn up with a bit of a hypothesis over how it should work. Because mm-hmm. again, it's like a Henry Ford quote, like people would have wanted a faster horse. horse. Yeah. Um, whereas I'd view this as transformative rather than compass, rather than kind of a, and, but you'd been in the, you'd um, had their job. Like you'd been in that role, yeah, you'd so seen the pain, right? So you could. I knew enough to be dangerous. <laughs> nice, um, yeah, okay. But yeah, so we, yeah, it's great. Just doing more and more meetings it has helped us. We need to basically optimize the company for learning at this point, is how we're thinking of it. So if we're doing more meetings, putting it in front of more customers, we're going to get better validation. Um, I did a really interesting, I had a really great interview with um, Amos Schwarzwald, who runs, he's at Techstars, talking about like what. Uh, just getting advice over like is there a framework for thinking of how to do this and he I've been following it religiously which is basically who uh, are you trying to sell to and making it very tightly targeted to the point where it's not just like oh I sell into like this vertical and this kind of role but it's like I want to sell into you know this size of company people who are like this um, to start with Um, and then you have that as your working hypothesis for who you're focused on do those meetings like make sure you're tracking what you're learning in them properly. Um, the next bit is like what? So like what are you actually selling? And what's the kind of, can you get it down to one sentence? What the product like will help them with? Um, and why? So like why are they fundamentally buying it from you? Yeah. Um, there's some really, the thing I found actually most interesting about the shift from being ahead of sales into kind of running the company um, and being more holistic is thinking much harder about how products can help from a marketing and sales perspective. So um, like I use Facebook, I associate, like why do I use Facebook? Um, Because I'm bored. Like there's an emotion underneath it all, which is that for me. For other people it might be, I've got fear of missing out. Um, So we're trying to think about like, when do you 
the tool basically helps you run one-on-ones with your team much better. It pulls in performance data, like the territory allocation and so on, to make intelligent suggestions to you. Um, and I'm trying to think about like when you plan your one-on-ones and you really nail your management of your team, like what emotion do you associate that with? Like I used to feel guilty if I wasn't managing my team properly um, and not putting the thought in. I think other people are motivated more by like fear of missing targets or whatever. So yeah. we're trying to understand some of those things a bit more finely so we can kind of position and word the like marketing and the collateral and stuff around it. Um, but that framework has been like invaluable for helping us feel a bit more sane when you've suddenly got like complete free reign and can yeah. you, you could do whatever you felt like. It's interesting, um, isn't it? So you're obviously based in London. It's probably the best place in the world, isn't it, to start a company? Because it feels like you've mentioned a few people there and a few networks and so forth. Like, it's made it really easy for you, hasn't it? Like, the just the environment you're surrounded by, like all your customers are here, all your advisors are here and so forth. Is now the best time ever to start a company? Like, you've got all these things at your disposal. Yeah, it has felt almost frighteningly trivial, but I think that's probably a good thing for, like, the economy at large because yeah. um, there's so much reasonably good advice now on the internet about where to like how to run stuff you can just do like you, know, you can get an office at the drop of a hat um, and not think about it so yeah it's been extremely easy to really simplify what we're doing and to focus on like we basically need to like build this build this or get it being used by people um it's been much easier than i would have thought to get yeah, done. like even stuff like building a website like i remember when i ran a like I did a lot of online marketing um, like six or seven years ago. Yeah. And building a website then was a faff. Like you had to, I was mucking around in AWS, um, building things from HTML and so on. Um, and like we're redoing it today and this is like a four day task or something to yeah. get a really nice polished looking website done so you can just work faster. But I think that does put more pressure on. It's more, the world is more competitive if you're doing SaaS, um, which I think is exactly why you need to be kind of savvier with your sales because the quality of products is going up massively because of this. Yeah. And it also means from a product perspective, it's more important. Like you have to be I guess it's over like, yeah, a certain threshold, I think. Yeah, it's two sides of that coin, isn't there? Because I suppose on the one side it's easy to start a business, but because it's easy for you, it's easy for everyone else. Yeah, so you need to become more competitive. Yeah. So look, we're getting to the to the point of this the, the pod where people like you, we ask you for your advice. Okay. Yep. So to the person who's sat there right now in the same position you were in they're sat there in that company things are going quite well but they're like i've got this itch i think i've got an idea what's your what's your advice to those people <laughs> do it it's probably my main one um yeah. i think with i think you need to rationalize a little bit kind of how like are you in the right position to do this or not like there is some logistical stuff around it like um I've got married, bought a house in the last two or three years, um, and it wouldn't have been fundamentally possible anyway to have kind of bootstrapped and taken the approach you want to. So I think that's one of them is like just have a little think through some of the logistics, but I think over planning it is a complete waste of time because your plan is going to change repeatedly. Um, I think the second thing is um, I'm extraordinarily grateful that I managed to get into a senior role at a couple of startups first because I've just lived through one kind of step removed from the watching the fundraising process, from watching like mistakes with management and org structure. And so I feel like I have like whatever, eight or nine or 10 years or something's worth of lessons around this stuff. So instead of, uh, I can just feel the value of those. I'm really glad I didn't basically like go, hey, I'm 
20 and I'm going to do this, I would basically say like work for a small, hungry startup with people that you think are great early on. Get it, like work very hard. Make sure you're the right hand person of um, like the CEO or the founder or whatever. So you'll get first hand experience of this stuff first. Mm. I think it means we're now in a position to we just got an extremely strong point of view over how we want to sort of build the business. I've got a much stronger network from doing that. Um, so it's made it feel easier. Um, I think though that, again, that might just be me, but I just know personally, I'm 100% sure we'd have failed or felt like we were lost in the woods. And I just know that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, I think that's really good advice, actually. I think there's something about that, about, you know, there is get yourself into a position where you can watch and learn from other people because if you're in a huge, huge business, you don't get to see yeah. that. And I think the other one is like, don't bear in mind that like, I think as a startup, you're going to get a much broader experience if you want to go and do something. Um, yeah. But I think the other piece is like, don't be, don't get institutionalized into how to get into that role. So I think a lot of people, and I've seen some of my relatives do this, they're like, hey, can you help me with this like job application? And I'm like, well, the biggest help I can give you is to tell you not to do that and to like, ask the CEO for coffee over LinkedIn or something because if they're small enough and you've got an interesting CV or you've done a good job of how you've messaged them, you're going to get the coffee with them. Yeah. So, yeah, just don't fall into that. Like, getting an interesting job at a startup that's growing isn't the same as getting a job working for, like, JP Morgan. So, um, yeah, just, like, change the game a little bit. I love that. I love that. I love that. And you're someone who's absolutely proved that that works. Um, so look, you, I know that you're actually, you've got, you're being humble, but you're having crazily quick success here. And it's, it's, it's inspiring to watch once you've, so that's the piece I want to just, what other two cents have you got for people who have now started their company? They've started yeah. it. They've started on that road. Like you have managed to get a crazy number of customers in such a quick time in a difficult space. What's your advice to people about how to to get off the ground once they start moving? Yes, I think I think one of them is almost a mental thing where um, we have managed to just set an expectation that we get an extremely large amount done each hour that we're working. So uh, we built the product from nothing to having it having actual people using it after four weeks. Um, wow, four so, weeks! So it was quite, um, again, the first version wasn't quite right, but it we just had this expectation that like, oh, there's a new piece of functionality one, can we get it done by the end of today? Um, and that culturally is something that we're extremely keen to maintain. It obviously means that like this wouldn't work if we had, you know, 100,000 users or something. Yeah. But at the moment, it's really, really helping us. Um, I think there's one. I think the second one is, um don't don't treat customers transactionally at all so it was super tempting to go hey i'm gonna like chuck up a website make it look nice spend a grand on online marketing and see what we get through because you're not but it just wouldn't happen like you can't automate the sales process early on even if your product's very lightweight um so again like we have i'm focused on building quite deep relationships with customers that may be worth like 5k to us or whatever um because i know that this for me is much more about learning how to do that because if we can get one customer that's worth 5k if we can get 10 we can get thousands if the market's large enough so um we need the depth of relationship so that they're forgiving and if the product's not very good they'll work with us so we look for people who are going to be responsive in that group and people that we get on well with um so i think that's the other one because i think it would be 
yeah, don't just treat people like they're leads or you're just going to sign them and like take them out for coffee, talk about what you're doing, ask them mm. who, what other ideas they have for what you should be building. Um, so I think that's it. Like, don't be afraid yeah. to put your face on what you're doing. I think that's absolutely... Uh, I think fascinating. I think it's really, really great advice. Thanks so much. I mean, I do have a bone to pick with you. You did publicly slate the creation of company stickers. I'm a huge <laughs> fan of stickers. I know you went through a period of of market testing was, to see the value of it. I was purely gaming the algorithm on LinkedIn, where like you, gave me, yeah. yeah, you create did an it, argument. Did it work? It obviously worked. It's got millions of dollars from that. No, <laughs> I got like some engagement from it. We had like a couple, well, yeah, it's been going quite well. But I think it's like a bit of a thing where you can be a LinkedIn's contrarian. A fun, LinkedIn's a tough one, but for you, it's like, that's your bread and butter, right? Yeah, it's been amazing, the difference it's made understanding how to get meetings. Like we went from emailing people to just like giving advice on LinkedIn and we found that's what heads of sales who were targeting are responsive well, to. Because it's, it's corporate Facebook, right? You're yeah. just flicking through it all day. Yeah, I think the other thing is like you're not posting it as, like we can post stuff as a company, like here's a piece of thought leadership or something, but really they want to interact with. Wow, well, no um, one reads them. No, like, they want to buy from the people who are, they're interested in the opinions that you hold. So yeah. how many, I mean, because I've, ne- I've never understood that. Like, you know, you get a company and they might have like um, 500 followers. Yeah. yeah. And then you as a person have probably got 2,000. You know, it's like, it, does, it just doesn't make any sense. There's a reason, like people want to follow you. Yeah, uh, but they, they want to follow you and they want to listen to you because they know you and you're someone real. I don't understand why people post from corporate accounts. I don't get it. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it just feels like something. I think it's a bit like, I think it in 2013, tried. maybe that was what everyone was doing. Yeah, it um, feels like you're being sold to, <laughs> I don't like it, yeah. Um, yeah, we just found by trying to genuinely help people with random questions about how do you do big deals or yeah um or just asking advice like this is the onboarding flow for a product like what do you think um and so on so we're trying to like remove we just found that's a great way to get into discussions with people i think the other thing we found like one of the reasons we've managed to get customers very quickly is just really pulling down the barrier to them starting to use the product with you so um with at the moment we're working very hard on like how do we go from like we don't want to even like demo it to people. We want them to be able to just run themselves entirely through the setup process and stuff as the demo. So they're going, hey, actually, like, do want plan a one-on-one with one of your salespeople right here in front of me. Um, that's done. Uh, now it's going to concept, isn't it? It's all set up for you. Yeah. So like, this can literally ping everyone on Slack and say, hey, like, your manager has this agenda for your next meeting with them. And so they've just organically started using it. And so we're trying to do that much. That's kind of what I meant by like. I don't see companies buying just on the relationship anymore. I kind of want to be able to show them that we can solve this problem. Yeah, sure. Uh, so that's been quite a cool way of getting uh, people engaged. Yeah, I love that. Um, we're thinking about it from a pricing perspective too, like kind of selling it as a premium, and then, sorry, as a like freemium model to start with. So again, like you're getting a very basic functionality. You're not using a platform for this at all at the moment. So you have no consistency with like how you're running your meetings internally. Sure. Um, there's no cost to this either. You have like, if you're a large corporate, you might have 30,000 employees. You can start standardizing and working out, you're know, getting managers to do a better job. Um, and then there's like, you know, reporting, uh, pulling in performance data and so on that we can charge for that has value. Um, so I think there's some interesting ways of like using pricing too, to try and mm-hmm. make sure you've got their attention. You've shown that you're credible by the product being really fun and easy to use. Uh, fun. And, and then- fun, Fun's an interesting word I'd use to describe a sales forecasting and territory allocation tool but we're trying yeah. there's lots of emojis we're literally like oh maybe we could like we're trying to pick like what a manager and what uh the reports emojis should look like and we had a big debate about this because like a lot of you can't put like a pig <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you make your own emojis yeah we thought about using nlp to like pick the emojis based on their personality 
it's not a real thing. But <laughs> oh, I love it. Is that <laughs> real? Solder. No, it would probably help us with enterprise selling if we said that. But I love uh, that. I love yeah, that. if we do want it to be like, um, like, hooray, you finished your one on one. If it's like super negative, because yeah. it could be. Um, so yeah, we we have put honestly quite a lot of thought into that kind of side. Yeah. Um, again, we just saw it like with other companies like Slacker. Slack, I think, have being fun as something they've kind of publicly say that they really care about in their products yeah and they have a certain feel to them and they just feel like the kind of company that's going to take off when you start using it so um we're trying to think about that kind of side to it and to make it feel you know to make it something that you want to use um rather than like salesforce whatever that you have to use um but yeah it's been absolutely great just thinking about how people are going to react to i love that the way you set it up it's good. So look, uh, so we're out of time, um, which is a shame because I could talk for ages. Um, I know that because Nancy's told me. Um, look, it's been, it's such an inspiring thing to watch. And I love so much the fact that you were, you had that conversation with me. So I said, wouldn't it be better if, and then you backed yourself and you said, look, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a go. And then that evolved into well, it grew into something and you're now creating something genuinely impressive and it's inspiring to watch. And I, I, I love that. I love watching it. And I think there's a consistent theme in you as a person, which I think other people can take inspiration from. And it's that, it's that dedication and hard work you showed obviously through your education and through your, your sport and through your career. Um, and uh, I wish you the absolute best of luck. And thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>